man, I'd, I'd like to see a little more excitement in your faces. We're going we're gonna to look at God's word, and we're going to worship. That brings a smile to my face. Pastor Rob, Pastor Christina, thank you for coming up tonight. Our People's Church Kids Pastors, let's uh, just thank them and honor them right now. We appreciate you. We are a church that believes strongly in doing whatever we can to reach the next generation. We talk about that often because it's a core value of what we do here. I was also reminded this morning as Jennifer and I, we sat in on membership class. We had a very large membership group this morning. I saw some of you there this morning. It was great to see you. This morning in a membership class, and if you want to be a member, you can uh, jump in next Sunday if you'd like at, at 10 a.m. in room D. I was moved this morning because as part of the membership class, they uh, talked about the history of People's Church, how it goes back to 1950 in a rented room in downtown Salem, and there were several property changes, expansions all the way to today. So while our heart is always thinking about the next generation, I am reminded that we stand on the generations that followed us, that came before us, that came before us. So I just wanna ask a quick question in this room. If you would measure your time as part of People's Church, not just in years, but in decades, if you would measure your time at People's Church in decades, would you just lift up a hand? Can we see some of these friends? Wow, several here. Wow, wow. And let me ask one more question. If you uh, are a second, third, even fourth generation member or uh, attender of People's Church, second, third, or fourth generation, lift up a hand. Wow, several more hands. I want you to hear tonight that we are standing on your shoulders and the shoulders of your family. And I, I was thinking about what, what if we had told that that congregation, that small congregation that was meeting in a rented room in downtown Salem Pastor in 1950, that someday what they were doing downtown would grow to this. They would say, wow, we get to be the seed. Pastor, you held up the apple seeds this morning. We're thankful for that seed that was planted all those decades ago. And for those of you, who, you and your families have been around for decades, we stand on your shoulders. We thank you. Thank you very much. The most important part of your day, the most important part of your day, if we were to gather a group of adults, teenagers, college students, teenagers you think you're adults, but your parents may not quite think that just yet. If we were to gather a group of teenagers, college students, adults, and we were to say, what is the most important part of your day? Not just Christians, but like a, a, a mix of people. If we were to ask the question, what is the most important part of your day? Make this a forward-looking question. This may help us if we make it a little more specific. Tomorrow, what is the most important thing you will do? On Monday, what is the most important thing you will do? Now, whatever our beliefs, I believe as an all people thing, we can agree on this. The most important part of your day is the time you invest in what's most important to you. The most important part of your day is the time you invest in what's most important to you. What's most important? What do you value? What ranks higher than all the rest? We know that when people are asked the question, if you look at some of the research, some of the surveys, when they ask, you know, what's most important to you? Surveyors who have done questions like this will get answers like my family, my health, the health of the person that I love or the people I love, financial security of my family. These are answers. These are, are good answers. Others in a moment of honesty would say what's really most important is my career. Some may confess that uh, it's friends. Their friends are what's most important in life, and others may say they're hobbies. Some maybe 
nobody in this room, but there are some who are very serious about hobbies. Could be a sport you play or a sport you watch. A hobby like animals, keeping animals as pets or hunting animals in the wild. Some outdoor activity. Hobbies, for some, they would say, it's the most important thing in my life. So then if someone, if, if something I just mentioned on the list is most important in your life, then the time you invest in whatever that is, you would say that is the most important part of my day. So if you'd say, well, my family, that's the most important thing in my life. So the time you spend with your family is the most important part of your day. If you were to say, of everything in my life, my career is the most important thing in my life, well then, the most important time of your day is the time you invest in your career. If you'd say, health is the most important part of your day, then the time you spend working out and eating kale and seaweed, that's the most important part of your day. So we're wrestling with this tonight, because some people of faith in this room might have something to say about this. What is the most important part of your day. Now I actually found one article where there's two doctors, two medical doctors, that make a case, they make a case, that the most important of day, part of your day is the time you spend sleeping. There's some in this room, you got a great afternoon nap today, and you could say, I could get behind that research. As followers of Christ, here's what we're wrestling with tonight, how does our faith inform our answer to the question, what is the most important part of your day? How does our faith in Christ inform our answer to the question, what is the most important part of your day? This question becomes so real when we ask it about not just the generic day, but an actual day. What is the most important thing you will do on Monday? What is the most important thing you will do on Tuesday, on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? What is the most important thing you will do? Thousands of years ago, God gave Moses a message on a mountain that helps us to answer this question. Exodus chapter 19, verses three through six. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, Let's just stop right there. Pretty amazing to be Moses in that moment, having an interaction with God. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, again, God giving the message to the people through Moses. If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, God says, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. Now, catch the message that Moses receives from God. He says, you saw how God led you out of Egypt. You were in slavery for generations. And God says, you experienced how the people were led out of slavery, out of Egypt. You experienced how God set you free. I carried you on eagles' wings. This is kind of a common um, phrase that you'd hear, you read in the Bible, where there is a reference to an eagle and being carried on eagle's wings. Ancient Hebrew culture revered eagles because eagles are known to be mighty warriors in how they hunt prey, and also eagles are known to fiercely protect their young. Eagles carry their eaglets to safety away from the threat of predators. Eagles are also known for their strength and courage in dangerous weather. This is so cool. Eagles have the ability to soar above the storm and the clouds to safety. 
For God to carry his people on eagle's wings, it's an illustration. He is a protector of his people. He guides his people away from the predator. God carries his people above the storms of life, and some of you have experienced that in this room. We also see that God calls his people a treasured possession. The message from God to the people delivered through Moses also says this, on this, whole, on this whole planet, you will be a kingdom of priests. Now, priests in Moses' day, centuries before Jesus, their role was to serve God with their lives by offering up sacrifices. Now, let's bring this message to the people back then into context for us now. As a follower of Christ, you were held captive by sin. Yet God led you out. God protected you from the real life spiritual enemy who wants to keep you from God, the thief who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. You are God's treasured possession. You are God's treasured possession. Of all the beautiful, amazing things that we see on this planet, you are set above as God's treasured possession. Now, how about the priest part? What does being a priest look like after the death and resurrection of Christ? What does being a priest look like in this season of history when there are no more Old Testament sacrifices needed because Jesus is the once for all sacrifice. What does being a priest look like today looking through the lens of the context that was spoken through Moses all those years ago? Now we know that there are some segments of breakouts of Christian belief that have a position that may be called a priest. That's not what we're talking about tonight. Peter, one of Jesus' closest followers, helps us out. 1 Peter 2.5 says this, you also, speaking to believers, Peter writes this after the death and resurrection of Christ, so he's speaking to you and to me, those of us who are followers of Christ. He says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, the high priest could only go into the most sacred place of the temple, the Holy of Holies, to make an important annual sacrifice just one time a year on the Day of Atonement. Well now, through Jesus Christ, you and I, we have direct access to God. There's no need to go to a priest. We don't have to go to a special temple. We don't have to make a pilgrimage. We don't have to go any, to any other human to say, to get to God, I have to speak to you so you can speak to God on my behalf. You and I, as followers of Christ, we can go directly to the living God because of what Jesus did for you and for me. You were created by God and for God, and you were formed for his glory. So back to the question, what is the most important part of your day. If growing closer to God is what's most important to you, if surrendering your ways for God's greater ways is what's most important to you, if becoming more like Christ is what's most important to you, and we already said the most important part of your day is the time you invest in what's most important to you, then as a follower of Christ, what is most important the most important part of your day. Worship is the most important part of a Christ follower's day. Worship is the most important part of a Christ follower's day. To worship God is to offer spiritual sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ. This may help us understand those of us who have been around church for a while, and we know church terminology, and if you don't, that's okay. We've heard, we, we hear this word, we use this word, minister. We're gonna minister to other people. 
To minister to another person is to respond to a spiritual, physical, or emotional need. To minister is to be active. Ministry is not, okay, I see a person over there. My spirit prompts me that there's something going on there. They're hungry. They're suffering. They're hurt. So what I'm going to do, I see the need. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to think about it. Hmm. I think about how much that person is hurting right now. They are really hurting. I think about how much that person is hungry. They are really hungry. Okay, on my way. No, to minister is to have a prompting inside and then do something outward. Okay, I see the need, and we can't, we've said this before, we can't do everything for everybody, but we can do something for someone. So we see a need. I don't know why I'm looking down this part of the aisle, but we're just imagining it as right there. I see the need, the spirit prompts me, and so now I'm gonna take an outward action. I'm, I'm gonna respond, I'm gonna minister to them. And it can get more formal, where it starts out maybe informally, we're ministering to people, and then it creates a, possibly something bigger, more formal, and we call that a ministry. You have a ministry to the homeless, you have a ministry to those who have been through divorce. You have a ministry to those who have suffered some sort of life trial. You minister to them. Inside the Spirit says do something so you take action. With that understanding, check out what the Bible says about ministry here in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses eight and nine. At that time, the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, don't miss this, to minister to him. Stand before the Lord to minister to him and to bless his name to this day. Therefore, Levi has no portion or inheritance with his brothers. The Lord is his inheritance, and the Lord your God said as the Lord your God said to him. God here calls for the priests to minister to him. Now if we think of ministry as responding to a spiritual, physical, or emotional need, God doesn't have needs that you and I can satisfy. God God doesn't need your help. I don't mean to let you down. God is complete all by himself. So this kind of ministry, it's a little different because it's not like we're saying, oh, God is in need of what I have to offer. I'm going to help God. The important word here is respond. To minister to others is to be compelled in our spirit to respond to what we see. To minister to God is to respond to his character and his work. Praise and worship are responses to what God's done and who he is. What God wanted back then, he wants today. He wants you and I to minister to him. Your loving heavenly father wants you to respond to him not because it's essential for him to exist, but because this response will draw you and I closer to him. Ministering to the Lord involves praise, worship, and communion. Singing to God is a way that we respond to God, a way we praise him, a way we worship him. You can sing in your car, you can sing in your house, you can sing here in God's house. Now you probably don't have an amazing worship band like this at your house or in your car, live like this anyway. So that's what makes coming to the house so special. We wanna do this together. We're gonna to sing. Is that okay with you? We're gonna sing. You may know these songs. These songs may be new to you. Some songs old, maybe you haven't heard them. There's some songs that are new, maybe you haven't heard them. Familiar or unfamiliar, here is my challenge to you and to me tonight. Respond to what the Spirit is doing inside of you. 
To minister to God is to respond to his character and his work. All right, just close your eyes for a second. Don't worry, you will not miss any fill in the blanks, okay? Just close your eyes for a second. I'm going to say some things about God, and I want you to, I want you to experience what God is doing inside of you. God, you are almighty. Heavenly Father, you are creator. Father, you are holy. Worship team, begin to help me out a little bit. God, you are unchanging. You are everlasting. God, you are provider. You are perfect. You are peace. You are righteous. What righteous simply means is that there is right and wrong in this world and our heavenly father is always on the side of what is right. God, you are ever present. We have never walked a single day on this earth outside of the presence of our heavenly father. Even though some of us would say there's times we've done things and we wish that God would just look the other way for a minute. God has been there the entire time. Churches, we're talking about God. Is the Holy Spirit doing anything inside of you? And if the Spirit is doing anything inside of you tonight on the inside, what are you going to do on the outside? What are you going to do on the outside? Well, I heard it. Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. And I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the God. I almost hate to do this, but I'm going to ask you to sit down for just a second. Whew. It's going to get better. Praise and worship, they are connected concepts, but they are not the same. We say sometimes we're going to go to a praise and worship service. Praise and worship are similar, they're connected concepts, but they're not the same. First, let's look at praise. Praise is responding to what God has done for us. Praise is responding what, to what God has done for us and to what he will do. Praise is an expression of gratitude, of thankfulness. We express our gratitude for how God set us free from addiction. We express our gratitude and thankfulness for how God healed us or healed someone we love from that diagnosis. We express gratitude for how God has provided for us, financially and otherwise. We thank God for how when all the tests and the doctors said there would never be a pregnancy, there was a pregnancy. God brought life. We thank God for how he miraculously restored a broken relationship. We thank God mostly 
above all else because he loved you and me so much that he sent his son to die on the cross, the death penalty we, penalty we were supposed to suffer. God loved us so much that he sent his son. So we thank him. We thank him for the hope that we have for now and for eternity. That's praise. Praise is an expression of gratitude and thankfulness. Psalm 150, verse six. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Psalm 100, verse one. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Oh, I will sing forever of your love. Come down with my hands to heaven. Shout your praises out. Praise God, praise God. Hebrews 13, 15. Through Jesus, therefore let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. What you did right there, that was openly professing his name. Now we praise God, but there are actually also opportunities when we can praise people. There are moments when we praise our kids when they've done their best. We praise a coworker or an employee for a job well done. We praise a restaurant for the delicious pad thai or wherever it may be. There are times when there are people in our life deserving of praise. So here's where we start to see the concepts of praise and worship separate. You see, worship is intended only for God. Worship is intended only for God. I think that's your last fill in the blank tonight, right? This may be uncomfortable. I'm just gonna ask you now that you filled in your blanks to set your notes to the side. I'm asking you guys up top if you could help me out and just fade the lights a little bit in the sanctuary to help us each individually focus on God as we talk a little bit about worship. Worship comes from the depths of our soul. Worship is deep reverence. Worship is honor and respect that is rooted in devotion and adoration. We can, we have the ability to worship what is not God. We can worship work. We can worship sports, hobbies, vacation destinations, YouTubers, education, science, sex, money. We can, you and I have the capability of worshiping these things. Showing them devotion and adoration and honor and reverence, things that aren't bad, they're actually in, in the right way, they're good things, but they're not intended to be worshiped. Worship is intended only for God. 
Worship is for God and for God alone. Praise, it's good to be, have praise included in worship, but worship goes beyond praise. It's been said that praise is easy, worship is not. Worship, you see, gets to the heart of who we are. To truly worship God, we must let go of our self-worship. To worship is to willingly humble ourselves before God. To surrender every part of us to his control. And to adore him for who he is and not just what he's done. We're gonna sing a couple more songs in this place and you may notice these kneeling benches that we have at the front. And if it's part of your DNA, when you wanna worship, you just wanna bow at your knees at the throne of your heavenly Father, this space is open to you tonight. Worship centers on who God is. Revelation 4.11, you are worthy, our Lord and God. You are worthy, our Lord and God. To receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. sing that one more time from the top. Some of you, as the Spirit is working inside of you, you are, you are responding right now. You may be speaking in your spiritual language. You're here at the altar. You want to come down and stand at the altar. You just keep doing your thing, all right? You have your moment with God. You are invited to keep on going. Worship, you see, involves giving who we are and what we have to God. We can worship the Lord with our time, with our talents, and with our treasure. Do you know that some of the very first people to recognize Jesus Christ as the one sent by God worshiped the Lord with gifts? Matthew 2:11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Worship. Alleluia. 
Church, what is the outward response that you want to bring to God tonight to what the Spirit is doing inside of you? What is the response that you want to bring to Him tonight that is going to fuel the week that is ahead? Some of us we get overwhelmed by the headlines. Let me tell you the most important thing that we can do as we anticipate what may or may not happen this week is to praise our God. Expressing our trust that he is in control, that nations rise and fall at his direction. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. Church, do we believe that tonight, that he is the authority over all other authorities? In just seconds, we're going to do one more song tonight. And I believe there's somebody in this room that God has been stirring in your heart to respond here at the altar tonight. You're going to have one more opportunity to do that. To minister to the Lord is to respond to who he is and to what he's done. It's a response. It's saying, when I think, God, about how great you are, about your majesty, about your awesomeness, about your purity, about your holiness, I can't keep it inside. I can't just stand and think about it. I have to respond. Do you know that when athletes achieve a victory. No one has to train them to lift their arms 
to celebrate victory and to lift our arms. It's part of how we are wired. We lift our hands in victory. And it's always a choice. Whether we're going to minister to a need we see on the streets, maybe you're going to see a need on you as you leave this place tonight. Maybe you're going to see something tomorrow. When you see, when the Spirit prompts you, you and I, we have a choice. Are we going to respond or not? And the same in many ways is true with our Heavenly Father. When we have that moment in our day when we think about how amazing our Heavenly Father is on the inside, you and I have a choice. How are we going to respond on the outside? What is our outward response going to be to the inside work of the Holy Spirit? It's a choice. We choose to be in relationship with Him. Yes, we are once and for all saved when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But choosing to be in relationship with our Heavenly Father, we choose that relationship every day. We choose how we're going to live that out each and every day. To be in relationship with God is to commune with Him. What happens when we live in community with God? Responding to who He is and to what He's done. Ministering to our Heavenly Father, responding to our Heavenly Father. We already talked about the powerful illustration of the eagle. As we prepare for one last song tonight, and you're thinking about how you want to respond outwardly to what the Spirit is doing inwardly, Isaiah 40, verse 31. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as, say a church, eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The splendor of a king. How are you going to respond tonight, church? Let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, and trembles at his voice, trembles at his
Some in this room, you're experiencing something that you've done every day for many years. You have reached a point where you are engaged in the presence of your heavenly Father. It's like even the sound of my voice is kind of tuned out because you're so locked into what God is doing in your spirit right now. And some of you, you may be experiencing this for the first time, where you've truly just let go and allowed yourself to engage with your heavenly Father. You've let go of self to go after him. So church, what is the most important part of our day? Worship. Worship. To acknowledge God for who he is. And some of you, you're thinking, well, I don't know if I fully am on board with that. I might say, my family, that's the most important part of my day or something else. But here's what many of us have experienced. When worship is the most important part of our day, all the rest of those things have an amazing way of falling into place. Our family, our career, our health, our relationships. What some of you have experienced is a refreshing in your soul you were so discouraged and then you spent time worshiping just in the closet in your room, in your, in, in your bedroom or some other quiet place of your, of your home. And you entered that time discouraged, but you walked out encouraged after refreshing yourself in the presence of your loving Heavenly Father. I had a note just before service that there was a friend over here as a mother that's in the hospital tonight. We're gonna to pray for that need. Also just lift up a hand right now. If you are in need of healing or you know someone in your life, a loved one who needs healing, hands up all over this room, hands up all over this room. We worship you, Father. We worship you. You are the one who created each and every one. So there's no one better to do the repair work. We look to you, Father, as healer. You are the great physician. So many times we get a text from someone on the pastoral staff. There's a person in need right now of healing and you can hear the dings on, on our phones, praying, praying, we're lifting that up right now, and then by the end of the day or within a few days, 
the pastor that brought the request comes back and says, good news. And there might be some part of us that says, actually, God, don't worry about it. He got better. No, it's because we prayed. We pursued God. And he answered, praise God. We thank you in advance for the healing work that you're going to do. We walk out of this place refreshed by you, Father, by who you are, by who you are. We could put a period there and that would be enough. We are refreshed by who you are. Yet you love us so much that we can expand that statement and say we praise you, we worship you for who you are and for what you have done for us. We bring our worship to you, we bring our praise to you. The one who is worthy. And forgive us, Father, for all the times that we have worshiped what is not you and what is not from you. Forgive us, Father, for all the times that we have given to something or someone what was actually only intended for you. We walk out of here with hearts and minds reset on you, our loving Heavenly Father, desiring that the most important part of our day would be exactly as you intended, to spend time in community with you, worshiping you, drawing closer to you and who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. The church said, amen, amen. Praise God. God bless you. Have a great night.